Father, I thank you, Lord. God, I thank you, Father, that uh, these incredible, beautiful people of yours keep coming back. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that today, as we look at your word, God, as we examine our hearts, as we examine your scripture, as we examine the things that you've given us, Lord, so that we can be a blessing in this earth as you are a blessing, so that we can join you, Jesus, in your ministry because you are with the Father now and we are here. And you said greater things we would do because you're with the Father. You sent your Holy Spirit to teach us all things, to, to explain the scriptures to us. You've prophesied to us through the law and the prophets. You've articulated your heart through the New Testament, the new covenant that you made, that you made law, the law of love with your own blood. And so today we ask for understanding, we ask for revelation, we ask for conviction, we ask for peace. And above all, we ask, Lord, that your love would be made evident in our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the cross. And thank you for your resurrection. Amen. I'm going to start with a story. Once upon a time, a long while ago, in the days of horse-drawn carriages and oil lamps, before the sound of cell phones and cars, there was a shopkeeper who had ten children. He had a lovely little home just outside of town, overlooking the valley on one side, and within walking distance of his shop. <clears throat> his oldest daughter was 19, and the other children, all ages, below. The shopkeeper's wife had passed away, and so his oldest daughter had agreed to step in and help to raise and care for all of her many siblings. She did not go off to college, nor was she able to pursue a career, because she knew that her father needed her to help with the children. And it would be a good many years before she could leave, as the youngest child was 10 years old. The father also was required to travel often, and he would need his daughter to care for things when he was, he was away. The father loved all of his children very much, and being a kind and loving man, he wanted to entrust his family business to his children and allow all of them to experience ownership in the shop and responsibility in the family. He also wanted all of his children to value and appreciate what the older sister was doing to educate, feed, and care for them. So, before he left for a particularly long business trip, he sat all of his children down and he gave them each responsibilities in the shop and in the home. He gave them everything they needed to be able to do the jobs that they had been assigned, and he explained that each of them would receive $10 a week for their responsibilities. Quite a bit of money in that day. He pointed out that everyone would need to take care of a specific need of the family. One was to purchase the firewood, another was to pay for lamp oil, and so on. Each was also given enough that there would be some money left over to spend on whatever each child desired after they had purchased what their father had instructed. The children were all very excited as he handed out the crisp $1 bills and they beamed with joy to hold so much money in their hands. He began with the youngest and placed 10 bills in each of his children's hands. He further explained that his business manager would bring them money at the beginning of each week and everyone would receive $10. Everyone except for their oldest sister. 
The children looked at each other puzzled and they waited wondering why their older sister would not receive money as well. And the father, noticing their expression, said to them, you see that I have entrusted each of you with my money and given you all responsibilities. And your first responsibility is to take care that there is always food in my house. The first thing I want you to do every time I entrust you with money in the beginning of the week is to take a tenth and give it to your older sister so she can use it to buy groceries, books, and the things needed to continue to feed and care and educate you as she always has. She also will have a little left over to spend on her desires just as each of you do after you've retained your responsibilities. The children all gladly took a dollar and gave it to their sister. As the weeks went by, the children began to get busy. And there were times when some of them would forget to give their first dollar out of the 10 that they received to their sister. But as the older sister was not wanting to embarrass her siblings, she said nothing. She simply found groceries that were on sale and just skipped having any spending money of her own the first week that it happened. Unfortunately, as can happen in life, five of the children began to spend the dollar that was to go to their sister on other things each week. And eventually, the older sister simply could not find ways to buy enough groceries to make decent meals for the family, with only four siblings bringing her the money, while the other five did not. The children began to grumble at mealtimes that the soup sure did seem a lot like it had a lot thinner broth. And they asked, why can't we have more meat? Bread was quickly becoming a luxury she could not afford. The oldest sister still said nothing to her siblings, and she tried all the harder to make things work. She took a night job so she could buy the necessary groceries to continue to do her job in the home. She knew that her father had asked her to do the shopping and to prepare the meals, and she certainly didn't want to let him down. And nor did she want to make the other siblings angry, so she just worked harder. And for a time, all was well. She would go out after the other kids were in bed, and she would work until 4 a.m., and then she would come home, sleep until 6.45 a.m., and then wake up, prepare breakfast, get the smaller kids ready for the day, and the others off to work at the shop. And then she would do her usual chores in the house. After a few weeks of this, her health began to suffer. She wasn't her usual self. She found she was having trouble helping her younger siblings, who she tutored in math and history. She just couldn't stay awake they kept having to bump her and jostle her to keep her alert. Also, she found herself burning what food that she could afford again and again. The kids were frustrated because they felt their older sister, who, was, who used to be so kind and helpful, was tired all the time and increasingly stressed. Eventually, the older sister realized she simply could not work nights and still care for her family. So she gave notice and went back to giving her full attention to her family. Only now, she was back to the original problem. She simply did not have the money to pay for the bills she was responsible for. She did the best she could, but the meals were becoming less and less delicious and more and more scarce. Finally, the father came home. He arrived at dinner time and he burst through the door, a huge smile on his face. Kids, I'm home and I'm famished. He hugged each of his beloved kids, kissing them and twirling them around. Let's sit down and eat. It has been such a long trip home, he said. The older sister was trembling as she ladled out the pathetic soup into her father's bowl. As she poured it, 
It was mostly broth with just a few scant vegetables. She was so ashamed to be serving him such meager fare, but what could she do? She spoke quietly, her voice trembling, as she apologized that there was not bread to go with the broth. Her father asked incredulously, did you, did you get robbed? Where is the bread? Why is there not meat? I've made provisions so that you should have plenty, and there should be plenty for everyone. Yet I look at all my children, and you look gaunt, all of you. Why have you lost weight? What evil has befallen my children? One by one, the children began to cry. Those that had stopped giving the dollar each week realized that it was they who had robbed their sister, their siblings, and also their father. They had done everything else their father had asked them to do, but they realized that it was they who had caused her to have to try to make do with less than what their father had directed her to have that it was impossible for her to accomplish what he had asked her to do without the money they withheld. And all the while, they were criticizing the meager fare she prepared for all of these weeks. With tears, they asked their father to forgive them, and they told of how they had not given her the dollar each week. Their father, after hearing what had happened, took the four who had faithfully given their sister the tenth each week and gave them $20 each. You will receive this amount from now on, and with it, more responsibilities and privileges. Only continue to give your sister the tenth first so she can do all that I have asked of her. He turned to the other five, who all with tears waited to see what he would do. He smiled at each of them, forgave them immediately, as they said, as they each said they were sorry, and he handed them each ten one-dollar bills. Everyone except the older sister held in their hand the money that he had given them. The father turned to the older sister and he said, you should not have neglected to remind your siblings to do the things that I instructed. You are to guide and care for your brothers and sisters. And when you did not tell them that they had forgotten to pay you, I'm sorry, uh, when you had forgotten, when, you, when they had forgotten to give you what I had asked each week, everyone was affected and a poverty came upon our whole house. You must be courageous and gently and firmly speak the truth to your siblings always. He turned and addressed the whole family. You all need each other. If one of you fails to do your part, then our whole family suffers. I have entrusted you all with my business and I have given you all an important place in this family. Will you now each be faithful with what I have put into your hand. Malachi 3 says this, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Talking about Jesus. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. The offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. And then I will draw near to you for judgment. 
And I will be swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against those who swear falsely and against those who oppress the wage earner in his, in his wages and the widow and the orphan and those who turn aside the alien and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So he's talking about jo- justice. He's talking about withholding justice, talking about swearing falsely, saying, I will do a thing. I will pay a thing. I will agree to something and then not following through on the agreement. For I, the Lord, do not change. And therefore, O sons of Jacob, therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and you have not kept them. He's saying, I don't change. And so even though you haven't kept your statutes, I have not destroyed you because I don't change, even though you did. And then he says to this, I love, I love our Lord. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? So he's saying to them, you've forgotten what you're about, Jacob. You've forgotten what you're about, my people. You've turned away from following through on on what I've asked you to do. You've turned away from that covenant. And you remember our covenant. We spoke on covenant a few weeks back. And the covenant that we have through Abraham, the father of faith. And God said, if you keep that covenant, you will be blessed. And if you don't keep that covenant... I will pay with my own blood in the future and I'll find a way to bless you. And here he is again saying, return to me because of that covenant and I will return to you. And they, and they say, but how shall we return? And God answers by asking them a question. And he asks them this question, will a man rob God? And yet you're robbing me right now. But you say, how have we robbed you? And he says, in tithes and offerings. Isn't that interesting that they, he's speaking to a great people. He's speaking to the people and he says, return to me. And they, and, and they say, well, then how? How do we return to you? And he says, well, will you rob God? I want to return to you. He says, well, okay, let me ask you a question. Would you be willing to rob me? Isn't that interesting? And he says, here's where you're robbing me. And he goes on to say in tithes and offerings, you're cursed with a curse for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. And then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground and nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes. Excuse me, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be the delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord. And we say to him, yet yet you say, what have we spoken against you? How do we speak against God today? What are the things where we say, Lord, you, you, following you, is, it's not worth it. How are, how's it any different for the wicked and the, and, the, and the righteous? And in fact, he says this, you have said it's vain to serve God. And what profit is it? that we have kept his charge. In other words, it's not profitable to do the things that he's asked. He says, this is the way you've spoken arrogantly against me. You've decided how you would like to live. You've stepped away from my statutes and my heart. You've not done the first things that I've asked you to do. I've given you a way to serve me and to keep your heart pure before me, a way to care for the widow and the orphan, a way to cause your own heart to be loyal to me. And the way that I've given you to do that is to give the first fruits, the first tenth, to me. And so he goes on. 
I'm going to start from the top. You've said it's vain to serve God. And what profit is that we've kept his charge? That we've walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts. And so now we call the arrogant blessed. And not only are the doers of wickedness built up, but they also test God and escape. How many of us in this day and age, we look around and we, and we see those that are truly wicked. They're doing things in a very incredibly not good way. And yet they seem to be prospering. We know in another place in the word it says that the wicked store up their wealth for the righteous. So yes, they may be prospering for a short time, but we know that we come into this earth with nothing and we leave with nothing. And that everything that we do in this earth speaks to what we will be entrusted with, not only here, but in the next, in the next place. And so he's saying, in the same way, these, these guys were questioning and they're saying, what's the point? What does it profit? How do I get ahead by doing the things that God has asked me to do? I'm trying to profit in my life. How many of you are trying to profit in your life? Everyone should raise their hand because God actually requires you to work and make a profit. He says, it is he who called you and gave you strength to work and make a profit. And you guys know too that Jesus told many parables about the servants who were given a talent. A talent is a year's wages. They were given different measurements of talents, each of them according to their ability. And he required them to invest that and make a profit and answer for what they did with his material. So we serve a God who is himself a creator and he expects us to be profitable in this life. Why? Because you're a blessing. And then those who feared the Lord, they spoke to one another and the Lord gave attention and he heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name, they will be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On that day that I prepare my own possession, I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. He is saying right now through the prophet that the way that he distinguishes between the righteous and the wicked is in whether or not you take the first fruit, the tenth, and give it to the Lord. How will I return to the Lord right now? You take the tenth, the tithe, and you give it to the Lord. And I, I appreciate who God is and his heart and the beauty of what he set out because you notice he didn't do a sliding scale. He didn't say those of you that make 100,000 or more should give 45% because you should do your fair share. He says no. Whatever you make, you take a tenth and you give it unto the Lord. Don't you love the beauty of God? Don't you love the kindness of God that he doesn't penalize you for being successful? He entrusts you with a certain amount and then he says, now, here's what I need you to know. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Now, if you want to serve me, if you want to return to me, then come and bring your money into the storehouse and give me a tenth. Hebrews 6, 19 through 20 says this. The hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. It goes on. 
For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils. He was first of all, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest perpetually. So Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now some believers have told me that they believe that the tithe ended when Jesus Christ died and was rose again. But the interesting thing is that the tithe existed before the law. The law articulated how to give the tithe, the tenth, but the tithe actually originated with the father of faith, of whom we've all entered into that covenant which we've been speaking of. We brought our father Abraham came and he gave Melchizedek a tenth of the spoils. I'll read to you in just a moment what Jacob also did in bringing a tenth to the Lord. God then continued that to show us how he would care for the equipping ministry, the priesthood, the storehouse, and take care of those that were called into that particular part of service. But isn't it so much like the story that we just read? Are we not all one family? Now, oftentimes I've heard preachers, and they've preached about, you're cursed with a curse. And I, and I really don't like that tone. The reason why I don't like that tone is because I know my dad, and he's a really good dad. And I think the conversation that dad has with us when we withhold the tithe is with much greater kindness than perhaps some of the things that we've heard. I really believe that the story that we read at the beginning is much closer to the heart of the father. Now, the reality is if you withhold the tithe, then he doesn't trust you as much as he trusts the other four who did bring the tithe. Because as of so far, you haven't been trustworthy in that place. And you've been willing to allow your own family to remain in a place of poverty. And I think any of us who would entrust things to a manager and found out that the manager was not doing the things that we asked with our possessions, then we would not entrust them with more. Indeed, we would come and say, please answer me why it is that you feel free to do with my possessions what you want according to what you feel like today. And we would demand an answer, and if they were willing to fix it, then obviously we would, we would commend them and we'd want to entrust them with more. If they were unwilling to fix it, well, then I think most of us would probably let them go. But here's the caveat in this. These aren't just people that we've hired. We're sons and daughters of the Most High God. We're sons and daughters of this beautiful Father. And so he comes, and I believe he smiles, and he says, you've allowed a curse to come upon your family. How many of you believe that poverty is a blessing from the Lord? Anyone? Okay. God in his goodness has made a way by which we are interdependent. God in his goodness has said that we are to gather together regularly to worship the Lord and to hear the scripture and be taught. Why? Because we forget. Why? Because the word is a two-edged sword, sharp, dividing even into the very motivations of the heart. And when we gather together and we preach and we encourage and we meet and we do those things which he's asked us to do, we thrive. Our marriages thrive. Our connection with God thrives. Our health thrives. Everything about God is a blessing. He doesn't ask us to do things so that he can somehow uh, fleece us. We're not just livestock to him. We're sons and daughters. And we're sons and daughters that he has entrusted things to. 
Let me read a little further, but I, I want to, as I'm here talking about Melchizedek, for those of us that have allowed ourselves to rationalize our way out of giving a tenth and saying, well, that was an Old Testament thing. That was an old covenant thing. Well, I want to answer that and say, actually, it precedes the covenant. It's the original covenant with Abraham. And Jesus Christ replaced the law of Moses, fulfilling it completely and telling us not only to fulfill the law of Moses, but to exceed it. You remember when Jesus, they were asking Jesus, and they said that Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees, and he says, you've heard it said that if you look upon a woman with lust, I mean, if you commit adultery with a woman, that's a bad thing. He says, I tell you, if you, if you look upon her with lust, you've committed adultery. You've heard it said, do not murder. I tell you, if you're angry in your heart with someone and call them a fool, you're in danger of hellfire. Tell me, is that a lower standard or a higher standard that Jesus brought? He brought a higher standard. So he's saying, I'm telling you, you must be born again. But as you are born again, as you enter into the covenant that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's even greater. Its promises are even greater than what the law has prescribed. You will fulfill everything in the law, and you'll do even more. Now, obviously, blood sacrifice did not continue into the new covenant. Why? Because Jesus was the lamb. He was the sacrifice that those blood sacrifices spoke of. So we need not give sacrifices now to be, to be forgiven for sins. No. No, but we are still partnered with our Father, and he has entrusted all things to us. Let me read on. Now observe how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the choicest spoils. And those indeed of the sons of Levi who received the priest's office have commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brothers. Although these are descended from Abraham, but the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham. Jesus Christ is the priest in the order of Melchizedek. He is the great high priest of the new covenant. Now, here's what's interesting. He says, but the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tent from Abraham and blessed the one who had promises. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In this case, mortal men receive tithes. But in that case, one receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives on. Who is it now that receives your tithes? Jesus Christ in the order of Melchizedek. Now, where has he directed that you would bring that tithe into the storehouse where you come and worship, where you are fed and equipped to do what? To do the work of the ministry, to do the things that you're doing. So many of us in this room right now are already fully engaged, just like those other brothers and sisters. You're doing so many things so wonderfully well. You're not defrauding your neighbor. You're not lying. You're not cheating on your taxes. You're not being stingy with your children. You're doing all of those wonderful things, and you're caring for them. But you lack something. You're misappropriating your father's funds. And you're not bringing your tithe into the storehouse. And through that, indeed, we are cursed with a curse. There is a certain poverty that's upon us. It does require that some of us have to go out and get a different job. It does require that we have to wait to pay some of the bills. Not because God desires it. Not because we're misspending or mismanaging. But because you are misspending and mismanaging. And you cannot be part of a family... And say, well, that's not my family. The Lord will provide. Well, he has. He has provided. What have you done with it? 
You guys having fun? You guys loving this? Now, this is beautiful. So Abraham comes to the, the, the king of Salem, Melchizedek. And this is the covenant of which we're a part. And Abraham gives a tenth. And then I want, I want to just show you a little bit more here. Genesis 28, 13 through 22. And behold, the Lord stood above it. This is, this is Jacob's ladder. This is where Jacob fell asleep. And, 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 and he saw that there was a gateway into heaven. And this he named Bethel. And he says, behold, the Lord stood above it. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the land and the land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants, and your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This is the covenant of which we're a part. In us and through us, all people will be blessed. Why? Because Christ Jesus came. And where does Christ Jesus live on this earth today? In all of us. We are in him, and he is in us, and we are extending his kingdom, his way. And it continues. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. How many of you know that God will not let you down? He will do what he has promised you. Come on, that's exciting. And then Jacob awoke from his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put under his head, and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on its top. And he called the name of the place Bethel. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. And then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me, and will keep me on this journey that I take, and give me food to eat and garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. This stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So we see now, who's our God? Because God actually announces himself to us. He says, I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Now, I don't think it's, a, I'm not going to try to add to the scripture, but I don't think it's a stretch to think that there was some communication between Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob figured out that Abraham had given a tenth. I don't know where, I, if Isaac did it or not, it's not recorded. But I know that it, that it occurred to Jacob when he met with God that he wanted to give a tenth to God. And then God continued and he explained how that works and, and what was going on. But these are the men by which God allows himself to be known by. He doesn't say, I am the God, you know, Gody God. He says, I want you to know what kind of God I am. I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And if you want to learn how I work with my friends and how I extend my promises, check with my sons, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And check with the high priest, my son, Jesus Christ, in the order of Melchizedek, who receives the tenth. From the believers. And so I dare say that the enemy wanting to bring a curse upon you and upon us, a curse of poverty, a curse of foolishness, a curse of thinking that we can serve God while not bringing the tithe into the place where he told them, while rationalizing these things. It's an interesting thing. In order to know what a tenth is of what you make, you have to calculate what you make. How many of us are perishing because we don't even have a budget? 
How many of us are perishing because we don't even know what we make? Look at the beauty of what he's done. You can't give him a tenth unless you know what a tenth is. I've noticed that those who know what a tenth of what they make, what they actually netted, those people that know that usually are also really good at doing a lot with the 90% because now they at least know what it is. Somebody just got saved. <laughs> now this is beautiful. I'm going to end on this thought. Jesus is speaking to the people and he says this, he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust true riches to you? And if you haven't been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for he'll either hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And you cannot serve God and wealth. So how do you know the difference? Because have you noticed that he says this and he also gives you wealth? Right? I mean, you guys do realize you live in the richest nation in the entire earth. I did some research last night. America has the largest disposable income amongst its people as an average in the entire earth. Now, we're number four in average salaries. Luxembourg is number one with what they net, okay? But we have an even greater disposable income because they also have a tremendous income tax that they pay. So, in other words, many of us are like, well, Lord, but you don't understand. I'm not rich like those other people. No, you live in the richest nation in all of the earth. Now, you wouldn't be off the hook even if you did live in a poor nation, because he doesn't say, here's the number. You all are going to give $10,000 a year no matter what. Figure it out. No, he's a great dad. He says, I want you to bring the first tenth. Why? Because if you don't bring the first tenth, wealth has become your master. Wealth is where your heart is. See, you will either make your wealth serve you or you will serve your wealth. And Jesus makes no, absolutely no apology about it. See, I'm the older sister. I'm the one. Who hasn't reminded us lately, have I? I haven't reminded us lately to say, oh my goodness, I'm supposed to remind my brothers and sisters that they need to bring their tithe into the storehouse for two reasons, well, for three reasons. One, because God says this. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all it contains. And he says this, all the tithe of the land, of the seed of the land, or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It's holy to the Lord. And if therefore a man wishes to redeem part of his tithe, he shall add to it one-fifth. Do you know what that means? It means if you want to wait to pay your tithe, or if you want to change that out, pay 20% on top of that, because you're borrowing money from the Lord. So if you had a lamb, you really liked it, and you wanted to just keep it, you could actually pay cash for that lamb, because this was an agrarian society, so it was all about farming and animals, all right? So obviously things have changed a little bit, but what you could do is if you're like, I really like that lamb, Lord, and he's like, that's totally fine. That will be that firstborn, whatever its value is, and then add 20%, you can just pay that in cash, it's no problem, you can have the lamb. Now what's beautiful about that is it kept people honest. 
but also if you decided, I'm going to wait until this other time before I pay my tithes, you, were, you had to pay 20% on that because you were borrowing that. You needed to bring it to the Lord. So you could redeem it, but you'd pay interest. 20% interest is pretty steep. I don't think he was encouraging it, but you could do it. For every tenth part of a herd or flock, whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. What's the point? The world is mine and all it contains. And I've entrusted as much as I can right now to you. Give me the tenth and let me entrust you with more. You cannot serve God and money. And if you do not tithe at this time, you are serving money. Now, many of us would say right now, and this is where it gets hard. I mean, a pastor comes with fear and trembling to bring this message because one, Satan hates us, so he's always accusing us. Money-grubbing, hypocritical pastors, they just want to buy a bigger house. They should just manage it better. They should just pay. I thought you were doing this for the Lord. thought you were living by faith. Everybody lives by faith. I've never met people who have more faith than pastors and businessmen who go into business for themselves. Those are the two biggest faith people in the world. People come up here and say, I'm a pastor, I live by faith. Well, yes, but you're not special. So do business people. They go out and put everything on the line believing that the service that they're giving people would want to pay for. Come on, we're all in full-time ministry. Isn't that good? I need to get on point. Because now I am actually asking you to pay extra because we're five minutes over. So here's what I'm going to end with. It all belongs to him. And the only way to keep your heart pure before the Lord is to obey him in what he's asked. And in the area of wealth, we are interdependent. God has made a way to care for the equipping ministry, for the widows and the orphans, provide that we can go and visit those in jail. And he calls it the tithe. It began with Melchizedek. It was shown and explained in the law of Moses. And it continues with Jesus Christ, the high priest. In the New Testament, 35 years later, the apostle speaking to Timothy says, does it not say, do not muzzle the ox as it treads out the grain. Surely he is not speaking of oxen. He's speaking of the ministry. And he goes on to say, those who preach the gospel must make their income from the gospel. So it is still in this new covenant a continued part of worship unto the Lord. And the tithe is not yours. You're not giving your money. Indeed, none of us own anything. We came in naked and we'll go out naked. But we're giving the first part of his money. And when we do that, we declare his lordship until he comes and we release heaven. And no follower of Christ will do anything less. Many of you are already doing more. And I would that we all do because that's a lot like our dad, isn't it? Let's pray. Father in heaven, first of all, I want to glorify your name for those siblings in this house who are already bringing in the tenth, consecrating it to you. And I pray that you would entrust them with more, even like the father in the story. God, multiply them and entrust them with more that your kingdom would increase and there would be more than enough. And Father, for those of us that are in this house right now, Lord, who are afraid, 
and we have not begun to honor you in this way for whatever reasons, Lord, and we've dug holes in it, we need help. Well, then I ask for grace that as we give you what is yours first before everything else, you would show yourself faithful even as you promised in Malachi that you supernaturally will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that we cannot contain, that you would be glorified, that your kingdom would come, and that those that all around would know there is a God. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, and we ask for the grace to be able to obey you in all things. We praise you, Jesus, that you have made all things possible. Amen. Well, you guys are beautiful. I'd like the prayer servant team to come forward if anyone needs prayer for healing in your body, for encouragement, or if you want to become a follower of Christ and you haven't done that yet, please come. Let anyone from the prayer servant team, they would love to introduce you to our wonderful God. Jason and I will be back at the welcome table back here. We'd love to shake your hand if you're here for the first time. We also have a free gift that we would like to give you, and may God bless you.